Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than searching for Turbo Man. Yes, it's that time of year, people. My name's Ash Rose, your host and your guide on this, the original 1990s football podcast, as we look back on the decade that changed football forever. And today we do it through a pair of eyes that are very, very interesting. I'm going to keep this intro very short and sweet. Um, because we've got a nice long chat today with a a voice that you're probably familiar with in 2021 on different media outlets, where it's Radio 5 Live, The Totally Football Show, BBC. But from the 1990s, he is former Everton, Tranmere, which is really interesting, and Scotland winger, Pat Nevin. Pat talks like football, like nobody else that I, I've spoken to on this show, if, if I'm honest. And it's a really, really interesting chat. Look back at the 90s some quite comparative sort of detail to modern day football as well as a look back at some fun stories as well and a drop of music of course because it's Pat Nevin so I'm going to keep this short and sweet if we don't speak to you before Christmas which we will try and do schedule is permitting have a great Christmas stay well stay away from Omicron or whatever the transformer name is for it and we will definitely see you in 2022 when it'll be 32 years since 1990 Deary me. Anyway, here's me and landlord of the football tavern, Ed Chambers, speaking to Pat Nevin on Alive and Kicking. Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast, back once again for some 90s goodness. And we've got a show for you today that we uh, we literally just recorded and we really enjoyed it. My name is Ash Rose, as always, and joining me on today's show, our, our newest signing. I'll stop calling that soon because it'll be soon part of the furniture like the rest of them. Landlord of the Football Tavern, Mr. Ed Chambers. Ed, how are you doing, son? I am very well, Ash. How are you, mate? We're uh, good. I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you if you're looking forward to Christmas, but then having known you for quite a long time, that is probably a waste of everybody else's time because you are <laughs> Mr. Christmas. You absolutely love it. So that's yeah, but I'm that's good. I'm, I'm good. Thanks. I've, I've just about got over our little uh, drinking session uh, the other Saturday, if I'm honest with you. But um, apart from that, I'm good. Yeah. A peek behind the curtain. Me and Ed actually had physical drinks a couple of weeks ago, yeah. like face to face proper, which probably won't happen again for a few years now that, you know, COVID's raised his ugly head again. But yeah. um, no, we had a good old uh, reminisce about old times and there was a lot of football natter as you can well yeah. imagine um but we have also just spent the past well i want to say what more than an hour speaking to today's mm. guest how much ed did you enjoy talking to none other than pat nevin i thought it was a blast how about you i really really enjoyed pat nevin i think it's i think it's easy to say especially after like the glenn hoddle thing that oh you can speak to speak to them all day but we literally could speak to pat nevin all day he it, He's such an interesting character. He's got a lot of great takes on, on modern football and football back in the back in the nineties. It was it was a pleasure. I genuinely do believe that if you're listening to this now, I think I think you're going to hopefully you are going to enjoy this because Pat is such an engaging character. Mm. Um, there's a little bit of music uh, question sort of thrown in as well, and um, and that sort of stuff. No, he's he's, he's He's a good, it was a great guy to interview. Really yeah, enjoyed I, that. I would have thrown more music at him, but do you know what? His music taste is so credible and so good. Yeah. I and didn't... to be honest with you, yeah, he's probably never heard of Steps. So, exactly. uh, I, yeah, my music taste is terrible. I would not want, yeah. I would look totally out of uh, place talking to, <laughs> to Pat Nevin about yeah, music. That's it, you, 
Yeah, leave, leave, leave the sort of joy division stuff to the big Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no idea. I'll, I'll stick to the Goo Goo Dolls and, and be happy about it. That's, that's all I'm saying. That's it. But no, yeah. I, I, I liked how I think I said to you this after we stopped recording. He's very analytical, and anyone who listens to him on on the radio or on, mm. on the TV stuff that he does, he is very. But yeah. at the same time, you understand what he means, and he applied yeah. this not only to the football now, but comparing the, the way he compares football in the 90s to now was really really interesting so mm. yeah. i know a lot of people will, will see this pop up on their feed and go oh pat and in everton yeah. well, well, like, yeah. it is, and i'm not just saying that because we're hosting the show but yeah. I, there was a lot of interest there wasn't there all round yeah. no ab- absolutely yeah and i think i think when when you're coming in to do an interview like this you have a you have a sort of preconception of what the individual is yeah. going to be like um though i sort of built it up that pat is obviously a very nice guy a very intelligent guy and I sort of had that, but he was all that and more in a way that in the stuff that he gave us so, so much over that course of that sort of 45 minutes to, to an hour. And it was, yeah, it was just, it was just a joy. I mean, if you're an Everton fan listening, there is a lot of Everton stuff, obviously. Yeah. If you're a Tranmere Rovers fan, my goodness, there's <laughs> some Tranmere stuff in there that I'd forgotten. Ash, I don't know whether you'd forgotten it, but there was yeah. Tranmere Rover oh, yeah. stuff. Scotland stuff, it was, but then again, modern day, we, we jumped from one topic to another because it was just a joy to talk to him personally. Yeah, I, I really found the Tranmere stuff interesting because they're a club we've, you know, we've done 150 odd episodes on this show and yeah. we've never really touched on Tranmere, even though it's a really interesting mm. story with John Aldridge going there and yeah. they run to the semi-finals as Pat not talked about. So yeah, um, yeah. that's stopped trailing it. That's let the people listen um, to to the show on this week's so, um, kind of almost getting festive special. We'll try and squeeze one more in before Christmas if we can, but I think this is a definitely a Christmas treat for your ears. So here is me and Ed talking to Pat Nevin here on Alive and Kicking. Sit back and enjoy a nostalgic ride through the decade that truly changed the face of football. If the 90s are now retro, then it's time for a celebration. Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. A pleasure joining us now on Alive and Kicking. He is a former Scotland winger, former Evanston winger and Tramier, which we'll get into. Very interesting. Um, we haven't chatted much about them before. Welcome to Alive and Kicking, Mr. Pat Nevin. How are you doing, Pat? I'm very good. Uh, thanks for asking me on. It's nice to be here. I think it's nice. Well, it's nice to be here. I'm in the house, obviously. <laughs> it's amazing you've actually caught me here because I've been uh, I've been travelling madly. I did four games in five days there. Um, so I've actually got a day at home here before I go back and down to London again. So well done. You caught me at home. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Well, you're a busy man, Pat, as we'll talk to uh, we'll talk your modern life uh, in a bit for sure. Um, what I wanted to start with, though, obviously, we're still in time for Christmas, next day deliveries and all that and Amazon and all that. So we can plug your book, which you released last year, Accidental Footballer. I'm always interested to know when it comes to autobiographies, why did you release it at this time? What made you do the book? And tell us a little bit about it, Pat. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of been meaning to write it for a while. Um, and before the last lockdown, amazingly, I finished it. Um, I just somebody annoyed me. Somebody annoyed me. That was it. Somebody really annoyed me. And I, I was told to write something in a certain style. And I said, no, I write in my own style. Yeah. And I went away and I just sat down and started writing. Um, and it was like within a day, I'd gone from a concept to 10,000 words. And within three weeks, it had gone to 100,000. 
because uh, I just loved writing it and remembering back to those times, which I hadn't thought of. Because the whole point about uh, football, when you play football at top level, you never look back. You just don't look back. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life, what you've done in your career, you just don't look back. You, you feel like a loser if you look back. But good news for you, considering your 90s-looking programme, I did eventually look back at the end of my career and had a look at what had happened. And when I had a look at it and thought about it, I, it was quite interesting, I thought. Um, I thought, this has got to go down in paper. So I didn't tell anyone I was writing a book. I just wrote it. Um, and then after a while, I took it to a publisher. And they saw it was all right. <laughs> and I'm amazed it's, it's done really well. And they're quite excited about it, in fact. When I go back to London in two days, that same annoying, you're right in my ear saying, where's part two? Come on, where is it? <laughs> so it's, it's been a really, really good thing. But thinking, this one takes me all the way up to um, the end of my time at Everton and just a little bit of period of trying there as well. So it's, it's a fabulously weird time. And that's what I liked about it. It's a bit weird. Uh, and I have different views on it than a lot of people. You called it the, the accidental footballer. I mean, where did that title come from? I know you're quite well known for having different kind of tastes. I suppose you would call it the, the, the average footballer of that time. Is that kind of where it, the title came from? Sadly, it's much more literal than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really didn't want to be a footballer. And I tried very, very hard and I failed, which is a kind of weird situation to be in. You know, fail, you tr- I tried so hard. I turned down Chelsea. Uh, I was a Celtic as a kid and I decided then I didn't want to be a footballer. I loved playing football and loved all the way through my career. This is the weird dichotomy of it. And I loved every second of training. I was a fanatical trainer. just didn't like the idea of all the other stuff surrounding professional football. I wanted to just, if I played football, I wanted to go and play a game of football. I loved the joy and the art and the sport of it. See, all the other stuff, I can't be bothered with it. No interest <laughs> in whatsoever. So the idea of doing it professionally, and I had older brothers and sisters, and they'd all gone on a higher education, and they'd all ended up being teachers or lecturers. So the obvious thing for me was to do what they were doing. Mm. I mean, from my position, that was it. But eventually, um, I was playing in a bounce game, because I love playing. I play with a boys club. And uh, just during a game, I had a bet with my mate who could, who could dribble around the most players and score. Anyway, I did that. took it around about four, and the keeper had scored. As we're walking off, the manager of the opposition team said, do you want to come and play for my team? I said, nah, I'm doing a degree, mate. Anyway, <laughs> he said, he, was, he said, uh, well, you could do it part-time, you know, play part-time for us and do a degree. And I went, hmm. He goes, we pay you. I went, where'd I sign? <laughs> <laughs> and that guy, that guy I was talking to there was Craig Brown, who was the Clyde manager. Oh. And so I was able to carry on being a part-time footballer. And, you know, and, and it was kind of a weird thing because after a year of that, I just kept on going a bit too well, you know, mm. annoyingly well. <laughs> and that's kind of a big part of the first part of the book that mm. like, I'm trying really hard not to let it take over my life. <laughs> Chelsea try and buy me. And I say, no, I'm not going there. I don't want to go there. An entire year of saying no to Chelsea because I wanted to finish this degree. So it is very accidental. In fact, mm. it's worse than I actively tried not to be a footballer um, and that's it's and the reason for that isn't minorly serious for a minute that's all true but then when I become a professional footballer I think to myself right I'll, I'll keep that attitude I'll really enjoy it just go out and enjoy it 
and then not really take any part in it so that I can keep the joy and the love of it. And a lot of the book is about trying to do that. You know, when football, as you know, mm. during the late 80s and then the 90s started growing and it started growing massively in the public perception. And I'm trying really hard not to go down that route. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a very, very different take. And the biggest take of all, I suppose, is I'm in the middle of it. So now you've, you've read a lot of stuff with insiders telling you about football, yeah? We've all read a million books like that. Some usually ghosted, to be fair. But we've all read them. I'm a complete outsider inside. I'm, it's me and you. Yeah. We're going inside this to look at this madness from <laughs> our point of view, not yeah. from them who've been in their bubble. And maybe that's the kind of why it's 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 been quite different and unusual from football books. Nothing wrong with other football books if that's your thing, but it's not really like them. Yeah, I've got it ready to read on my uh, over Christmas list. So, but Ed has read most of the book from my note. Ed, I mean, what, right. what do you? What's your yeah. take from Accidental Footballer? Uh, good morning, Pat. Uh, nice to be yeah. here, Ash. Um, yeah, so um, I was reading. I mean, I haven't read. I'll be. I'll confess, I haven't read all of it. I'm about sixty percent of the way through. It is absolutely fantastic. My, I got it from my dad, who absolutely raved about it. So I was like, great. And it's just a big coincidence, to be honest with you, that I am here with Pat Nevin this morning, which is uh, brilliant. But um, what, what I was picking up on there, Pat, was what you were saying about being the accidental footballer. Is that you told a story in the book about when you joined Everton about how there was two different cliques within, within the dressing room. And I think it was Colin Harvey that basically said to you, well, basically said to the group that there are two cliques within this dressing room and then there's you, Pat, which you actually took as compliment um, which I read as a compliment but I thought I think there was kind of a jokey element in maybe what he was saying but with you it was kind of like you were able to get on with both sides of the the divide and is that why that Everton team weren't quite as successful I mean on paper it's a fantastic team but is that quite why it didn't it did that (laughs) next Everton team didn't quite reach the heights um if you had to put it down in one thing remember life's not that simple but if you mm-hmm. had to put it down one thing, yeah, that was it. Um, the yeah. fact that you had a lot of really good players. I'd pre- played previously for Chelsea right up until, you know, the late 80s. Yeah. And there were times when we were a good team. But player for player, we weren't as good as that Everton team for total quality yeah. of the players around me. So we should have done much better. And as it was, we were still, you know, finishing sixth and things, things like that. Yeah. You know, which for Everton in those days was horrendously bad. Yeah. Have a look at the league table now, and it doesn't look too bad. <laughs> no. but, <you> know, <laughs> but, but for us, that was a horrible thing. So there was lots of other things. You were changing a team that been incredibly successful. But you need to move on. It, they don't yeah. last forever. And you need yes. to bring new players in. And it's the problem of, and it happens to a lot of teams, but particularly really successful teams, when the old guard eventually have to go. And mm. I, I'm happy you brought up that specific part of it, because... Mm-hmm. I try to see it from all positions. Mm. There's no point in me just telling you what I think and seeing a match. That's, that's bias. Yeah. I understood the, the older players' position thinking, well, wait a minute, we got you here. We made this club really, really big. We are out on X amount of wages and we are just bringing in guys who are going to play in double that we are on. And they ain't done anything yet. It's us that done yeah. it. You know, can you understand yeah. that? Yeah. Also, yeah. if whatever job you do, and anyone who's listening in, whatever job you do, say you're doing a job and the yeah. management bring in somebody younger than you and say, train them up and they're going to take over you and we're going to kick you yeah. out. And yeah. by the way, we're going to pay them more. And yeah. you, how I, do you feel? Well, exactly. <laughs> I, think, I think there's this sort of 
this this sort of thought process from a lot of people that everybody in football is his best friends and I don't think it quite works like that in the fact that exactly so I, I don't think it works like I remember Roy Keane saying something once about how his brother goes to work in a factory all day and then he goes goes home and with his family and his own friends and and you know with with your career obviously you were very much like that you had outside interests music of course um, being one of them that we've mentioned already so it's just that thought that Everybody is not best mates here, but let's get together and do do the job. But it didn't quite turn out that way. Is probably well, I, there's exactly. one I took from what you were saying in the book. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Um, and sometimes that's management. Mm. To be fair, mm. I don't think it was in this occasion. That was just personalities within the group. I mean, I'm often asked in my current jobs, um, you know, what's wrong with X, Y, and Z team? And you're looking at it and you're thinking, let's take for example Man United at the moment. You, what's wrong with that? Why are they not? And you think you're thinking to yourself, right? Okay, you know, there's certainly it's slightly skewed in t- terms of age. There's certainly a problem with the fact that you know you've got a new manager who come in and ask them to do something totally different, which won't suit some of them. You've got pig personalities there, and then you transport yourself into dressing and you're thinking, well, he's not going to like that, and he's going to hate that, and he's going to do that, and them two probably don't get on together. And you've all that stuff we don't get from the yeah. outside. We don't yeah. get it. We don't see it. It's all hidden. You'll get the tiniest little taste of it. And usually you get the wrong taste. You usually get, oh, so-and-so was fighting with so-and-so and, you know, and, and training. That's probably not the problem. The fact that they're arguing with each other means they care. It's the mm-hmm. other ones you have to worry about. <laughs> yeah. And you don't get it. And that's the difficulty you've got. Because even when players come out or managers come out of that in three, four years down the line, they're still playing, you don't hear what the problem is. It's years later, you sometimes get a wee bit in a book. Even then, it's kind of coloured. It's kind of one person's point of view. What I try to do when I'm talking about anything is try and see everyone's point of view and explain the the whole encompassed problem. Um, But also, quite funny as well, we're about luck again. Um, So that was the problem with Everton at the time. We had very good players. And I actually thought we were were millimetres away from getting it right. We were so close. Because, you know, I, I could see the players around me. I could see the ones that were bringing in. I could see the quality. And I'm thinking, this is ready to click. It's mm. absolutely ready. And I would, I mean, it's, it's hard to explain that when you're inside it because I've been inside various clubs before. And I could see, actually, there's nothing to worry about here. My, my team that I support in Scotland is Hibernian, right? Just like the manager, right? It is the biggest, stupidest mistake I think I've ever seen from a club. Right. <laughs> ever, okay. right? Ever. Yeah. The manager said a shocker right, recently. Mm. Seven, eight, nine games, right? It's really bad. It looks a terrible run of form. And if you look at the long term of it, Hibs have not been this successful for decades. Yeah. yeah. Cup final coming up. The, the, the core is fine. It's like Warren Buffett, where he's, he goes and buys, you know, you know a massive company, a, a big part of a massive company, invest in it when it's on this, you know, it's on its uppers and it's struggling. But he knows the basics are fine, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the upset. And once you're, you're close to that, you can see it. So I can see Hibs are fine, and you've just blown it. <laughs> they get rid of yeah. the guy who built it. And I could see Colin Harvey, who was the manager at the time. He was absolutely close to it. It was possibly slightly too nice, but then they panicked pushed a wee bit by the pressure from fans and the media and they made the change. And at that point in time, 
it, it kind of just splintered a little bit after that. And it was uh, Howard come in and Howard, I'm, I'm, again, hands up, was biased. Howard and I didn't really get on. Yeah. Um, although that was purely professional because as soon as I stopped playing for Evan, we were perfectly fine. It's yeah. cool. It's business. It's just one of those things, yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm. it was it was an interesting time for that. But, you know, I've, I looked at the 90s and the way football was getting played and I was getting more and more disillusioned with it because I, I was playing international football. Obviously, I watched a lot of football as well. Remember, we were banned for long, long yeah. periods. The English teams were banned. And I was thinking, most of the teams are a bit rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> they just lump the ball. Yeah. You just, you, the Crystal Palaces of this world, you know, Wimbledon obviously gone through that period as well. But we'd gone really quickly and hard down this kind of power and pace thing. And all the technical players we were, we were playing, they were all foreign. Mm-hmm. We weren't producing any. We really weren't producing. I mean, it was the odd good team around Man United, a good team for a period of time there, you know, Giggsy and all that. But and I was thinking, why is this happening? And, and I, everybody outside English football, nobody within English football could see it for years. Because we're too busy going, oh, no, the Premier League's great. Mm-hmm. The rest of the world's going, <laughs> I'm laughing. Yeah. <laughs> It was so simplistic, a lot of the tactical stuff that was going on. Whereas you look at it now, and it's the other way, and it's the other way around. What What was that change, Pat? Where, where was that change in the 90s for you then? Was it bringing in guys like Wenger and having imports like Burkamp and Klinsman? Was that the change that the game needed to, to progress it in England then for you? Yeah, I, th- I think there was a, the, the history of it from where I point of view, and I, and I think Ed might have read a little bit of it, but... Um, the position of maximum opportunity, which is the base of the English game, um, that was certainly it's Charles Hughes that put that together. That was always at the base of the England game, mm. uh, English game. Um, and you know, if, if the amount of times you know you get the ball and all this is get it in the mixer, yeah, you know, that's all you ever heard. Or yeah. lump it, get it long, yeah. yeah. And the rest of us are going, no, don't, don't. <laughs> and I mean, that's come out to really recently. Can you remember when Pep first came in? I went way by finger. Mm. Pep first came in and they were playing out for the back. And I'm watching every single pundit going, no, no, get rid, get rid, rosehead, rosehead. And I'm going, no, 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 you, you don't do that. That's, that's, just keep going backwards there. You know, yes, you will lose it. You will lose some goals. You need to look at the wider picture and where this is going. Barcelona didn't get where they are by a long thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember seeing it all the time, and I was, you know, I did some punditry with Radio Five Live, and I'm, but I'm watching just about everyone on telly saying the same thing, and I'm going, and the same people are still on, and we're still listening to them, and we're all wrong. <laughs> I just think, why? And I, I thought it was much worse in the nineties, um, mm. but in the midst of it, at least these nuggets of gold, weren't there? And maybe that's what the joy of it was. Yeah. You had Canton, you had Solar, you had these little nuggets where those of us who loved it could go, yeah. And that's what kind of kept our love going with it at the time. I mean, that's to take away from nothing from there were one or two good teams that were technically mm. good teams. Uh, and, and of course, people throw stats at you and say, oh, we win that championship or European thing. You can win it without being the best, yeah. just by being physically stronger. Mm. And it wasn't a big thing I was into. So it was, it was an intriguing time, uh, that time, certainly. And I think the reason we're telling you all that, I mentioned all that, all that was I think Everton were caught in the kind of cusp of it as well because mm. they were trying to be technically quite good because 
school of science, all that sort of stuff would be calling. But everyone else was pure, not a lot, but a lot of others were pure physicality. Kind of caught a wee bit in the midst of it, a wee bit. And uh, eventually, somewhere down the line, there was Joe Royal come in, and, and Joe, who I love, a great guy. Mm. And he, he was dead interested when I talked to him about it. He just said, Do you want to play like this? We have to. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah, cost not to play like this is to develop great technique. And it takes ages. Mm. And I don't get ages. <laughs> so it was, I loved the kind of all oh, that. So anyway, I'm. I'm quite deep into it there, but it was upsides and downsides of that period. The upside for me was I went to Tranmere and I had an absolute ball because we played brilliant football. Yeah. We'll get to that, Pat. We'll get to that, definitely. What, one, one thing I wanted to ask you, and it's a bit of a yellow card in my, in my instance because I just want to step back slightly into the 80s, is the 89 Cup final because that must have been such a weird, surreal experience, obviously coming off what happened at Hillsborough in the semifinals. I know... Everton had got there for your goal in the semi-finals against Norwich. What was that like, knowing that you've made an, a cup final, but this kind of, this sort of dark cloud that hang over the time, what was it like to play in that game? Yeah, it was well-described dark cloud. It was, it was a lot worse than that. It was horrendous to be part of, you know, Hillsborough's in the offing, in the background. R- writing this book, writing what I was writing about Hillsborough and what we were going through and the pain we suffered there, that was the hardest thing about the book and everything else just flowed. Yeah. That flowed, but I was very, very considerate of every single nuance of every single word there because it's so important. Um, and I hope, if I get anything right in the book, I hope we got that bit right. Um, so anyway, we we, we win the same final. It's a highlight goal of my career probably. No one's ever seen it because it was never shown because mm-hmm. obviously correctly. I was perhaps that day at the same time. Um, and I didn't think we should play the game. We, we should just leave a gap in the FA Cup final. Yeah. Um, but the people, the Liverpool fans, they, they thought it was right. And the, the families felt it was right because of their love of football and the, those who had lost. And of course, it was Liverpool and Everton. It, it couldn't have been anyone else. Mm-hmm. But walking out onto that field, it was incredibly odd. If you, if you look back at some interviews, it's, don't bother, by the way. If you look back at some of the interviews I'd done in TV and football focused at the time, God, I look ridiculous because I can't smile. I mean, I, I, and it look, if you look at it with out of context, it looked, God, what a moody guy. He's just, mm-hmm. He must be thinking about Camus and Dostoevsky all the time, which I was, but apart from that, that was, you know. <laughs> but you and don't listen to Joy Division too much. I was like, I really looked about it, but it wasn't that. It was... You felt as if you were feeling the people that had that had gone um, yeah. by actually smiling about this celebration of football. But in the end, when we walked on the pitch on that day um, to play Liverpool, who were, you know, all things said about eighties or nineties football, uh, Liverpool didn't come under that category. They yeah. were a right good, yeah. <laughs> right good team for a long, long period of time at that time. And at that time, they were super. But we weren't going to just say, you know, we'd roll over. Yeah. That would be an offence to the memories. So going out to that game, the build-up to it, we thought about it a lot. Um, but by walking out in the pitch, no, this is Liverpool. This is Scousers. This is Everton and Liverpool. This is all of us together. And although it was quite um, separated at the time, there were plenty of Everton fans in the Liverpool and There were plenty of Liverpool fans yeah. in the Everton. They could do that. 
they could always do that in that time, which nobody else could. You wouldn't do that with Chelsea and Tottenham. <laughs> you know? So you could do yeah. that. And it was, I believe it was a gloriously warm day. It was a phenomenal game. Yeah, three great game. After, after, after extra time. There was a, a brief moment, a glimpse, where the new lads in that Everton team, and we'd just been there one year. I mean, I've made, I've scored the goal that got us there. Stuart McCall, who's one of the newbies, scored both of the goals that we scored. Um, and it looked like, right, this is a turning point. We can actually go and meld these two together. But we were playing against Liverpool, and it was extra time. And they had, I don't know if I said it, but I can't remember if I wrote this. But anyway, I've always felt they cheated by bringing on Ian Rush, because you shouldn't be allowed to bring on Ian Rush. <laughs> so not acceptable behaviour. <laughs> What, Pat, what I found um, what I found interesting about the whole '89 Cup final, and I think you know you, you said there about about the book, you did cover Hillsborough incredibly well in the book, so it does come across um, that way. Is that for most children when they're in the playground, Ash and myself included, I know this for a fact. Every child would love to play in the FA Cup final. I think that's you know every child that's into football, FA Cup final is kind of the, the, the kind of the thing under the twin towers, all of that stuff, bright sunny day, everything you described there. Yours was slightly different in the fact that one, you said that you're an accidental footballer, so maybe that wasn't your particular dream. Maybe don't know. We'll come on to that in a sec. Two, obviously, you had the issues of of Hillsborough, um, you know, and everything that came with it, so it's slightly different. But three, what I found the most interesting was that. You've never seen it back. You've never really watched it back. That's what you say in the book. So you did care, really. That's the you know that was the thing. You know, you did care that you'd lost. You know, it was. No, uh, that's what it's, it's a great point. It's one of the things it's been difficult to explain to people. Mm. You don't want to be a football, so people yeah. immediately think, "Oh, you don't really like it. You don't care about it." Yeah, no, I absolutely cared about yeah. it. I absolutely loved doing it. I was yeah. completely dedicated to it. more than anyone else at the teams I was at. I had to stay yeah. back for much longer with training than they did. Yeah. The pure love of the creativity of the game, I adored that. You know, so yeah. all that stuff, I, and I cared about it, and I cared about winning and losing. But in the midst of all that, I didn't like to get beat. Like, yeah. no, of course, yeah, yeah. of course, yeah. yeah. Like any sportsman, yeah, like any sportsman. Yeah. No, I just, I just, I just found, I just, I, I probably didn't phrase the question right, but I, I, I just found it very interesting that you'd never actually seen it back, yeah. and that maybe one day you might or you might not, you know, it, because it, it hurts. It really, it, might, it hurts probably to, to lose an FA Cup final like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's a good point. I mean, just as you say that, it's an interesting way you've put the question. And I like that because it's, it's, it makes you think a bit more. Yeah. How many of, of my games ever did I watch back? Maybe that's well, yeah, exactly yeah, yeah, true, true, true. true. That's, yeah. You've made me think that way. Yeah. I mean, I've played 850 professional games. Don't really watch many back. Now, to be fair, if you'd won the FA Cup, you probably would watch that. Yeah. I'll grant you that. I will absolutely grant you that. Yeah. I suppose it was the case of, and there were so many fun things about that day. You know, it was so many dark things, but so many fun things. I mean, there's a story yeah. in the midst of it. John Peel was one of the best friends. Yeah. And John came to the game and I got him tickets. And of course, he was red head to toe come on John <laughs> with uh, Sheila his wife um, but in reality I'd, it would have been interesting to, to see it as, in a technical sense if I watched it now I do have a vague memory that I helped set up one of the goals for Stuart McCall with a pass that is kind of David Silva-esque um, and it wishes 
the kind of football I tried to play. And I kind of drag players and I slip somebody through and we, we get to the byline. The whole, if you watch Manchester City these days, it's all about getting to the byline mm. within the 18 and the 6, right? That's mm. what it's all about. There's lots of other things to do, but mm. that's the plan. Get there, we're cut back and you can't stop it. Right? Yeah. And you know, I kind of knew that when I played. So that was most of my game, trying to get to that position. Because if you get to that position, whether it was you or where you set somebody up. So I've got a vague memory that I did that and I was quite pleased with that in that game and made a goal. Honestly, see the rest of it as a blur. I can't. Mm. So maybe if I ever get time one day, I'll watch it. But not for me, for a pure technical look at the game and what it's like and compare yeah. it to, you know, current games. You know, the camera work, I'm sure, will be different. You know, I've just, I don't be yourselves, but I've just watched the Beatles documentary. Mm. And uh, I want them to do that with my old games, by the way. Make them look a wee bit more modern, you know. Yeah, <laughs> we actually didn't play in grainy old footage. We yeah. played the same. We yeah. were the same people, kind of thing. Yeah, just it up. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it, it's it's an interesting question, and I have been asked it quite a few times over the years in different ways. I'll be honest; I probably never will watch it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The last word on Everton, because I know, um, Ed, you had a question about some of the players that, that Pat played yeah. with there, um, okay. name, namely Neville Southall. What, what was it you wanted to ask yeah. Pat about um, the great Nev and how and how good he really was, Ed? Well, I think we might have lost him there. Right, we'll, we'll wait. We'll save that question, Pat. Um, I, I was looking. He, he's uh, he's uh, he's frozen, so we'll save that question. I was going to start, ask about Everton that you mentioned there that the finishes, so sixth, ninth, twelfth. In the in the early first division days, what what other than the football? Do you think there was something else missing? Was there another? Was there a couple of players missing that the final key to the jigsaw to make Everton the team they were in the eighties or something they could have been in that early nineties period? Always moving in different directions, yeah. and you have to either move in those directions. You certainly got have to get more professional. Um, you you can't the drinking culture can't survive to that level. Uh, certainly you can if you're younger but not with the older players you won't survive you get hammered um, so I'm afraid that that was always going to be a, a problem that that hadn't moved on with Everton I think we were just in a, a period where we were switching over from one group to another group and in the middle of that crossfire it didn't work for we well I think it was just going to go was just about to go very very much better um, it didn't get the opportunity and then her come back and it was very much looking at a previous team, moving it back to an older style and, and the, kind of, the game had moved on. Moved on, yeah. Um, so that, that was, you know, but that's, and everybody does like an older simplification of things. I mean, if, if you write a book that's got 380 pages, it's probably a wee bit more complicated than a binary. Yeah, yeah. oh, I, yeah, I can definitely imagine. Uh, Ed's rejoined us now. Ed, you, you had a question about Neville Selfie you wanted to ask, Pat. Go fire away. Uh, yes, I did. I... Oh, I can actually tell you now roughly where I am on the book because I've got to the bit where uh, Neville Southall uh, sits uh, at the mm. And I remember this uh, when I was obviously a lot younger than I am now. And I just remember thinking, what was it like in the dressing room? Did you just kind of turn around and go, where's, you know, where's the big man? Where, where is he? You know, and the reasons why he was sitting out on the, the post, did that become clear to you at the time? Or was it just a case of Southall being Southall? Um, 
we couldn't care less as a person. Right. There's narratives that go on. I mean, you read them in the newspapers and the yeah. friends talk and always yeah. showing disrespect for the manager. Right. First of all, nobody noticed he wasn't there. Right. So we are just on with the halftime stuff. Never wasn't there. Nobody, nobody even said anything. You're too yeah. busy. We were 3 0 down, if I vaguely remember correctly. Uh, we were all furious. You know, we had to get that sorted. We, needed, we nearly did, by the way, in the second half. We were back to 3 2 against, was it Leeds United? And they were a team that were not up and coming side. We didn't know that because they'd just come up at one of the first games of the season, if not the first game of the season. So we thought we were, everyone thought we were playing against a bunch of useless players that just come up. No, you weren't. You were playing against a team that were going to win the league just a bit. <laughs> but it's hard to know that at the time. Um, Neville just trying to get inside his own head and get himself right. Neville said that immediately afterwards. Well, um, he listened. Everyone said, oh, no, it's because of this, that, and the next thing. Mm. No, it was Neville just getting inside his own head. He wasn't showing disrespect for the manager. It was just he wanted to get his head right. He didn't like losing three goals. There was not a lot more complicated than that going on. If there it was, was. I'd tell you now, why <laughs> Why hide it, you know? Yeah. I remember saying it. I remember reading all this stuff at the time thinking, that's just rubbish. They're just making that up. <laughs> we all knew it. And, yeah. of course, what happens is, a narrative is built, and it happens today all the time. A narrative is built about certain things coming out of football. Um, let me give you an analogy, right? Um, a few years ago, Chelsea, who I watch all the time, and I cover all the time, Chelsea had um, they, they got a new player, this guy, Jorginho, and he was playing, and a couple of pundits said, oh, he just passes the ball sideways, he's rubbish, he's this. And I'm going, he's one of the best players I've ever seen in this league. And the, but the narrative became one thing. He does this, this, this. So I went and dug into the figures. In actual fact, he played more through balls than any player in the league, including De Bruyne, including Silva. And anyway, it's just a narrative that's built, and everybody jumps into it because I was watching him every week. So I knew it was wrong. And you know, I also knew it was controlling midfield. And that happens sometimes in football. You get a narrative. Now, in actual fact, everybody tells you Jorginho is great now. Oh, he improved, he changed. No, he didn't. He's doing the same thing. He's doing exactly the same things. He's chasing a wee bit further up the field because he's got a guy beside him now. That's it. But a narrative is built. And you will stick with that narrative. Even though it was wrong. And that was the thing with Nev. People had decided on the narrative because it fitted what they wanted to think. It just happened to be wrong. That's why it's great writing this stuff for the book. Because I can tell you, I've not, I'm not gaining anything. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just telling you what happened. There's no, no reason why I should say anything positive or negative about Neville. I like the guy and we got him well and I think he's nuts. But <laughs> he is. I mean, there's some. To be fair, he's a brilliant guy to write about. Yeah. absolutely fantastic to write about. There's about four or five stories about Neville in the book. And uh, to be fair, there could have been 20. <laughs> and my favorite, maybe the best one is because I one of my skills, my favorite skills was a scoop, and I scored quite a few scoops. Yeah. So if you if you ever go in, apart from if you type in penalty, my name, you get a penalty kick that I never quite reached the goalie with. But if you put in my name and skills in Google, you see that the amount of times I scoop goals, it's like ridiculous. It's just really stupid, right? I do love a scoop as well, Pat. I do love that kind of skill. It's, it's kind of it's, Kind of, un- I hadn't really seen anyone do it. Yeah, I mean, Wolski did it seven or eight years after I started doing it. 
So I kind of should have got a patent out on it. But the reason why I, I did it, the reason why I did it is because if you, it was pure, pure logic. If you've got one and one more keeper and he's narrowed the angles, if you try and go either side of him, you might get it. If you scoop it 20 feet up in the air, unless he's got a trampoline, he ain't getting it. Right? Mm-hmm. So you, you're going to score if you get the technique right. Of course, every time I've done it to Neville, he wants to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a sight of me having skipped Neville, the ball dropping into the net, and me sprint the other way, and him chasing me all the way out the side, away at the training ground, down the road, being with studs on everywhere, and him trying to kill me. Um, but the Neville was just kind of, and he was just saying, like, don't take the mic out of me. But it wasn't taking the mic out, but the rest of the team are just laughing their heads off. So uh, one of the other things I wanted to talk about, right, about with that period of time was, yeah, there was hard times. Yeah, we didn't want... The very, we didn't get all that we wanted out of it. I tell you, I had a lot of good laughs at Everton. Mm-hmm. And I meet any of those Everton players now, I don't like every single one of them. Yeah. Old, new, young, don't care. But I got on with them all. Let's talk Tramia, Pat, because I'm, I'm aware that we, we could talk to you all day, literally, and we probably end up will do. But uh, I always find that an interesting, it's almost a quirk of the 90s, because obviously Tramia are in a very different position than they were this in the, mm-hmm. the decade that we celebrate. How did that move for you come about? Because obviously you were dropping a division as well at the time. John Aldridge was, you know, the name that was there and, and a big name and trying to get that club into the top flight. And they almost did, as we'll talk about. But what enticed you in this project? Uh, circumstances were very, very strange. Because I wasn't getting a game for Everton in my final season. And I was thinking, I'm playing the very best of my ability here. I'm absolutely top of my game. Uh, but I had to get back in the Scotland squad for Euro 92. Mm. You're not going to get in if you're not going to game. So the idea, I thought, I need to get somewhere on loan. So I ended up going, Tramier's just about the nearest club. So I thought, a couple of months there, uh, under Roxborough will see me. And uh, if I'm playing well, I'll get in the squad. Anyway, that's a long involved story. And it worked. <laughs> I went to Tramier for two months on loan just to get games. Um, and it was, it was fantastic. When I got there, the weirdest thing happened. I thought, well, you know, they're a division down and I'll have to go easy on those kids because, you know, they're, they're not be that good and they technically they weren't. And after about a week, I'm going, bloody hell, they're good. <laughs> I was having a couple look around going, I've never heard of any of these players. Yeah. Like, like the kids that were coming through. I mean, they all ended up playing the Premier League. Like they were all good players, but you don't know that. They're just a bunch of kids mm. coming through. And uh, I, was, I was stunned by it. And then I played with Aldo. And you don't really know about players totally until you play with them. And Aldo was a phenomenon. Yeah. Absolute phenomenon. They just, anytime I, you get the ball and you put it in the right area, you kind of don't even watch it going in the net. You just go, oh, no, he'll score that. And then walk away. Because <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was so brilliant at finishing. So you put that all together. And a manager who was nuts um, and very funny and lovable and into open football and right so that we're going for two for and we don't care and we're just going to attack teams like and it's you, you look through European football now and people talked about 442 or 4-2-4 and like dismissed it for years there didn't they and then you look around Europe just now you think yeah there's a few going for it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we sometimes play 3-4-3 which was I kind of liked as well but now it's become quite a, a thing a lot of it. Chelsea are doing it really well just now a version of it but there was a period of time where we did that there as well. And I remember thinking, I was a bit backward, and I'm going, 
There's a great link. I can I tell you a quick story to sum it up. Right? So the manager was Johnny, Johnny King, and uh, he said, I'm doing the, pre, the pre-match stuff, and he said, um, right, lads, we're going to leave two up for a corner this time. Uh, Pat, you and Johnny Morris, you stay up. Actually, we'll make it three. Although you stay up as well. So, you know, they'll need to keep four back, and we're going, well, it's, a bit, it's away from home. We're not happy with this. Mm-hmm. But actually, lad, we'll leave four up. If we leave four up, <laughs> and, back, and we're going, no, Chrissy Malkin, you stay up as well. And we're, we're going, no. Anyway, sorry, lads. <laughs> I'm absolutely wrong. Really, five up. And we went, no, you can't do that for a, a corner kick. We live to leave five up, right? So wow. they gave it six max. You know, nobody does it, right? Mm. Except about four years ago, I did see somebody do it. Pep Guardiola. There you go. And I'm going, we were laughing at this geezer. And he had such unusual mm. ideas. Mm. So, yeah, I went there and then I came back for the last wee bit of the season, straight back in the Everton team, scored a goal to. Uh, but I knew I was leaving Everton. And so I went to Euro 92 with Scotland. Uh, interesting stories involved in that, including some good Duncan Ferguson stories. Um, but I had a choice. And my choice was Galatasaray Ooh. or Tramia Rovers. And, uh, wow. story, There's a contrast. The stories <laughs> in the book, because I went over to Gala and uh, met them and talked to them. And the stories about that week are absolutely extraordinary. What happens in Istanbul when you're just about to sign for one of the big clubs is extraordinary. So I had that choice um, and I had to make a decision, you know, when I come back. And again, it's, I've covered it in detail why I did choose Tranmere. And it was lots of reasons, but in the end, it was love of the game. Yeah. What did I love doing? And I was playing with Tranmere, who mm-hmm. were a team I absolutely loved playing for that little period of time that I'd been there. And I thought, oh, this will be joyous. This will be great fun. I don't need to maximise my potential with the big name clubs. And uh, so I, was, I did drop down a division at the very, very best of my career. But the, so I was absolutely the height of my abilities. And I went down to Tranmere. But that was me. I was, I was very much like that. Mm. I know I can enjoy football here. So I'm going to play it there. Mm. And I've, I've thought then, and still think, perfectly reasonable decision mm-hmm. and, and how I mean three playoff semi-final defeats in a row I mean the playoffs are one of the you know, I've, as a QPR fan we've had highs and lows in the playoffs I can't imagine as a player when you work for a whole season and you get to that point how gutting do you look back at that and think you know you tram me with that close on, on three occasions on, on making the top flight how, how what that experience was it like for you well the, it they were all quite different. There was one of them, I think Swindon was just rotten. Um, yeah. Leicester, um, we hammered them. We absolutely hammered them. We battered them when it's right? I mean, an aggregate score of 7 2 at yards would have been reasonable. And we get beat, you know, and I managed to score a goal in that way. I've generally scored in the playoffs, but we never quite got there. The pain is you end up missing out after an entire year's worth of work. By yeah. one goal. Yeah. And that happened to me a lot of times in my career. Lose the FA Cup final, one goal. Chelsea, when I was there, my last game for Chelsea, we get relegated by one goal. <laughs> Just like Tranmere, the times that we didn't make it, you know, through to the final where we would probably have won it to go to the Premier League. It was quite often a goal. Mm. And it was extraordinary how close football is and people. You know, stroke your chin years later and decide what you know what a team was like 
you think, no, no, had that one hit the post and gone by and that one hit the post and gone in, total difference in history. Absolutely, complete difference. And that's how tight and how close football is, massive amounts of the time. So, but in the midst of it all, yeah, we, we didn't win the playoffs. We were a tiny club in comparison to all the clubs that were mm. around us. But we were a joy to watch. Um, and we, the, the Tramier, I think, they'd been a few years before they'd almost gone out of the league and we'd gone and we were now regularly getting 16, 17,000 people through. It doesn't sound a lot of money, but have a look at what Bournemouth were getting in the Premier League. Yeah. You know, and we had come from a team that, you know, years before had 2,000, 3,000 and, and a short period of time and it wasn't just success. It was, this is damn good to watch. Yeah. And it really was. It was fantastic to watch. So I loved, loved my time there. Um, for the kind of four or five, four of the five years were just utterly brilliant. And there was some amazing games. I mean, any football fans, like, if you're listening, to football, if you love 90 stuff, Aston Villa were a great team then, weren't they? Yeah. Aston yeah. Villa were a fabulous mm-hmm. team then. If you're really bored one day, have a look at the highlights of the semi-final where Tramia played against Aston Villa. I remember that, yeah. It's honestly, I swear, do you know how, you know, certain things you watch in telly are good games, and you get spine tangles, you get it there. You honestly, yeah. we beat them 3-1. And that is what football meant. That was ex- everything I wanted football to be was almost encompassed in that one game. Underdogs, young lads playing against established internationals, big team players, a very good team as well. I like to have some dollars as a team. And we battled them at the Prince and Park. We built three, should have been 3-0. They got a late goal, which changed it because they beat us 3-1 uh, back over uh, at their place. And it was an extraordinary kind of period of time where it's another, it's another one, a single goal. That was a penalty in a, you know, in a playoff. Otherwise, we'd have got to the cup final. Yeah. The, the, the league cup final as it was then to play Manchester United, which Aston Villa won. Mm-hmm. So all that time you look back, people go, oh, the time your days. Yeah, After your best times, and I'm going... They might have been the best thing <laughs> in some ways, they absolutely were because mm-hmm. we were such a, a a really good team to watch, and we were in the cusp of the playoffs. And all the teams that went up, or some of them went up, Bolton went up one year, and we didn't. They stayed there for years, yeah, and they became well, a big, big club for a long period mm, of time. We're some mega stars as well, yeah. And, so it came close. Yeah, I don't have to be that bored to watch a 90s cup final. I'll tell you that, Pat. So no, it, it was just underlining anyway. If you do watch it, semi final, <laughs> League Cup, it's Tramia 3, Aston Villa 1. Honestly, five minutes, six minutes worth of action. It's definitely, yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I implore you to check that out. Uh, we'll t- I want to finish by talking Scotland, but Ed, we had a couple of questions um, from Twitter, didn't we? Do you want to uh, ask sure. away to Pat on, on those and then we'll finish by talking yep. about Scotland? Yeah, just, uh, well, just I've, I've picked up, we got a, quite a few questions. I've just picked out two, actually. Um, <clears throat> so uh, first one comes in from Jamie Garwood, who says, uh, so it's more modern day question, actually. Apologies, Ash, I know you're going to tell me off after. Um, so it basically says, what has been your favourite commentator to work with and to pass on to you that your analysis is one of the best from an ex-player out there? So there you go, there's a bit of praise there. Very kind of them. That's such a hard think they do to see the best commentators Radio 5 Live for a period of time has been spectacular Ian Dennis is amazing yeah. John Murray I, I love yeah. what they do but yeah. it's because style wise that's what I like mm. Um, mm. the 
Because you do commentary sometimes there's a subtlety to it. Because you need to interlink with each other, work with each other, understand, come in and out. On all the technical sides of it, which you, there is no teaching. You just learn how to do yeah. it. Um, yeah. You know, Bruce Ball, myself. There's a lot of the, the kind of absolutely one more. They're the guys that I kind of like. That's purely because I work with them. Um, I don't watch a lot of, you know, on TV um, games. Uh, no. I, I, I quite often have the t- the sound down. Um, mm. I don't want to be affected by what anyone else says. Okay. I want to have my own yeah. ideas. So I quite often will turn the sound down and I'll watch it and doing that. And I don't don't watch a lot of analysis either. Now. I used to, I do a lot myself, but you, you, you're you coloured by analysis. It needs to, and if I see a, a piece of analysis that's, I've seen it before, or I, I know, oh, you did that three weeks ago. I, I'm gone. I'm fast mm-hmm. forward. Yeah. I'm away. But if you, it needs to be something really go, wow, I didn't see that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it absolutely needs to be, I've never thought of that. And that happens now and again. When somebody does that now and again, I'm all over it. I love it to bet. Um, but it's yeah. hard to do. It's hard to reinvent the wheel in football. I, mean, I do analysis stuff for the BBC website. I did up until the pandemic. And my analysis stuff for their website is really technical and really in-depth. And it's, it's, it's kind of really unusual. It's stuff that no one else has mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. And you, So I won't do it all the time. I'll just do it now and again. But the yeah. actual radio stuff is fantastic. And those guys that I mentioned there, all fantastic work. Um, we've got one other question. It would be remiss of us, I think, to not ask you a quick music question. I know, actually, <laughs> I know we're I know we're pushed for time, so this, this might be a yes or no. Um, so Tony Williams, who is a big Chelsea fan, has asked uh, to say, um, ask Pat if he thinks Joy Division would have been as big as New Order if Ian Curtis had lived. Um, great question. The answer is no. Can I answer quite back to him quickly? Yeah, of course. Might not have been bigger, but they'd probably been better. Oh, right. Oh, <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, right. Okay. Well, we'll that's saying something. Can you? They were brilliant. Yeah. Uh, well, there you go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that's really Pat, then, then talking about Scotland. Um, I want to first ask you. I mean, Italia ninety. Obviously, you mentioned the time Everton were successful as you'd hoped was that part of the reason you didn't quite make the squad for Italian and ITA and, and I mean how, how hard is it for a, somebody who's been part of the squad to then do you watch the tournament or do you ignore that it's going on it happened to me three times in my career where I was in the squad right up till the World Cup mm. dropped for the World Cup and then started the next game and you just think mm, not sure that's really fair mm. um, I kind of had an unusual attitude once again about it. Mine's was, do you know if it's tight, if you don't know if it should be me or Gordon Judy or me or Strack or me or whatever, give it him. Honestly, give it him. Yeah, I really felt that I only want to be there if A, I'm obviously the best player for the position. Yeah. But B, I don't actually particularly want to be there if I'm going to sit on the bench and get three minutes at the end of the third game when we're knocked out being down 4-1. I don't want to give away my summer for doing that. I want to have a nice time with my girlfriend, stroke, then wife. That's, mm. <laughs> you know, that's what I'd like to do. Um, all the kind of stuff around it, you know, World Cups, I didn't care about really. It was just the actual playing the football. Now, as the years went by and I ended up covering them for five live and traveling the world, uh, little hint here, that's book three. Um, it's 
it's really, really, that side of it I then found very, very interesting because I saw it with different eyes. But missing it at Italianate was the one where I thought, actually, I should be there. Yeah. I, I was my, the way I was playing, um, the squad we had, the, they needed something else. Um, and I, 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 it sounds terribly arrogant, but there are times I just shrugged my shoulders. Um, lots of people saying, you should be there, you should be in the squad. But I didn't. I just thought, no, I'm not obviously the best, but whatever. Uh, but that one I thought, ah, Kane okay, should be there. I was the right player for a tech, because I think we needed technical players then. Yeah. And we were kind of more a 3-5-2 running chasing team. And I think when you get got to that level at that time, the rest of the world was looking at a technical side that would have suited me quite a bit better. I'm not saying we didn't have technical players in Scotland team. We did, but in the creative role in that area. Um, so that was when I thought, nah, I kind of should be there. Watched some of it, watched the Scotland games, um, yeah. but I didn't lose myself in it. Um, yeah. So by, by the time Euro 92 came and I was involved in that, um, I really then wanted to go. Because for the simplest terms, very simple terms, and it's this I do cover, and it, again, it sounds terribly arrogant, but it's not. See, when you play against anyone, you don't care who it is. You think, while you're on that pitch, I'm better than you. And I remember playing against Bremer, Mm-hmm. Andreas Bremer and thinking I can't believe how easy it is to get by here mate <laughs> honestly <laughs> everyone's telling me he's the best full back yeah. going, you can't tackle mate <laughs> like I don't know, to be honest he was very clever because he was good attacking full back wasn't he flew forward mm-hmm. and he ended up spotting that I was getting by him too easy so he switched with the other full back and sent this other guy to mark me uh, who wasn't much better to be fair but it was really, really strange. So you, my attitude at the time would have been, I want to be there because I want to individually play against you know whoever it is, the best in the business, because I think mm. I'll do it. And it sounds terribly, terribly, terribly arrogant. And there was no arrogance of myself when I was off the pitch. But on the pitch, absolutely felt that. Absolutely. And I'd love to have done it at, at Italian anyway. Mm-hmm. And we always call Euro 92 on here like the forgotten tournament, because when people talk about tournaments of the 90s, they talk about Italia 90, you know, USA 94 and all the kind of pageantry that had in the States. And then Euro 96, obviously. I mean, what was it like for you as, as a player at Euro 90? And how do you look back on, on that tournament and, and for your... It's, like, uh, it's kind of a bit of an opportunity loss and not my own fault because I only got into the team because I got to Tranmere uh, on loan. Uh, the man just took me over to America um, to play in a couple of games over there before to see who his final two or three players were. I scored the winner um, against USA. Pretty damn good goal. Um, and that was me basically in the squad. Played well. But uh, there's a lot of things happen from that. Again, that comes in in the book, which is actually one of the most fun parts of the book. It's really mad things happen over in America. Um, but one of the mad things that happens is that I get my ankle broken. Or my leg, it's a tip in the, the right-hand side. So I actually couldn't kick the ball any more than about 40 yards, 30 yards. Um, I didn't know it was broken because it, it's, it's a hairline fracture, but it means yeah. you can't uh, can kick it a certain distance. But it didn't show up in the x-rays. So I actually played in Euro 92 with a broken leg. And <laughs> wow! And there's a great moment. And again, it's one of those ones you can find on YouTube. It's called, we played in the last game against, uh, it's called CIS, but it's Russia. Russia, yeah. yeah. And you know, I get the ball and I pick it out 
up just outside our eighteen yard line, they're going this big mazy long run dribble, get into their box, dummy a few people, and then get brought down. And people are going, oh, that was brilliant! You done this big long mazy dribble, you got penalty, we scored it. I said, well, I couldn't pass it? It was too sore. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't pass it anymore to 20 or 30 yards. And it was the bizarre thing like that. And that wasn't even close to the most bizarre thing. The favourite thing about that, uh, that whole little period was, you know, we had the world champions and the European mm. champions in our group, like Germany and Netherlands. They're talking about Baston, Hullet, um, Rijkaard. I mean, just unbelievable players all the way through it. So we got a stinker of a group, but no point were we embarrassed. And even the Russian team are a right good team. You know, the CIS are a good team. And I'm not big. I'm looking behind you, Ash, and your memorabilia and it's very, very impressive. You notice behind me is mostly music as yeah. opposed to football. <laughs> but I have got some football memorabilia stuff. Um, and one of them was from that game. So CIS, so I swapped a shirt. And I didn't often shorts, swap shirts. And I swapped shirts with somebody. So I've got a CIS shirt, right? Kanchelskis. So that's not a bad one, is it? That's, that's a right good one. one. Yeah, that's, that's not bad at all. Yeah. So I, did, uh, if, I didn't actually keep many of them. Yeah. You know, I've got a Dutch one. I can't remember who that is now. Um, but it was, it was an interesting time. But playing, and I played okay. I played quite well, really quite well against Germany when I came on and sub for the second half. But in the midst of all, I'm thinking... If I didn't have a broken leg, I probably could have done quite a lot more, you know. But you can't spend any of your, I'll go to you entirely, any of your life looking back and saying, yeah. oh, I wish that, I wish this. I've got 850 games. I've scored a lot of goals, made a lot of goals, had a lot of fun. And by the way, it's all an accident anyway, so I'm not <laughs> going to complain about it. I tell you what, Pat, that shirt, there'll be some collectors out there that will be salivating at the idea. Can, can, of, I, can of I tell shirt. you about another? Can I very quickly tell you about Go another? Go for it. Right, you, you'll love this. So behind here, you can see this. If I'm doing, I, I work during the, um, the pandemic, we're doing stuff from home. So I would do BBC or Sky or whatever from here. But I quite often put blue shirts on top of that, that chair there, right? Just to Chelsea up a wee bit, you know, when I was doing Chelsea or whatever. So... I've got a bag of shots in there, right? Just in the behind there. But when I'm so I've got an old Chelsea shirt, an old Scotland shirt, yeah, anything blue. Most of the teams I played with play with blue and white. So anyway, I picked, picked this one. I'm like, France shirt. I can't remember playing against France. <laughs> you should kind of know that. Yeah. Kind of. So eventually I I'll try to look up. No, I didn't play against France. Where the hell is that? Because it's a classic French shirt. Uh, I was talking to somebody in a podcast like people like yourselves who know what you're talking about, right? Other than not people like me. And he went and looked up and he goes, No, you played for Scotland B against France B. Oh, a dense part of the oh, No memory of it. Straight up my head. And he sent me the, the team sheet and, and the program. And, you know, we basically played our first team against France and they played, played quite a strong team as well. So I had a look at the shirt again. It's number nine. Oh, I must have been impressed with their number nine. So come on, who was it? What year are we talking about? Yeah, can, we, can we have a little clue? 84, 85, oh, maybe. 89. Who was playing? Oh, There's a bit of a cheat there because it's not. he doesn't normally play number nine. Oh, see, I was going to go we're Pat. Not, Sorry? Try again. Who were you guessing there? I was going to go Papad, but I think that might be a bit too early for Jean-Pierre Papad. 
One off that, I'd rather have had Pepsini, but I put up with a certain Mr. Eric Cantona. No, I thought he might be too young for that. Up until yeah. a few months ago, I had no idea I owned wow. this because we didn't ah, have reason those days, obviously. It just wow. had a number. <laughs> it's the like funniest thing, anyway. That we've gone completely off piece there. Um, oh, brilliant, brilliant. I love that. That is, that is class. Um, you mentioned some Duncan St- uh, Ferguson stories earlier, Pat. Is there one you can share with us to finish off for, from that tournament? Um, there's loads, actually. Well, some of this, this book that I've done just now is, is done really well, and the, the Christmas stuff is it's really boost up again. So, and it's got lovely, phenomenal reviews, which is a nice thing. And more importantly, that people who have read it on Twitter have got in touch with me and said they really liked it. Nothing else matters, nothing else at all. That's all. People actually like it and yeah. pick the thing up and read it, right? So, a bit of fun in it as well. Um, but Duncan's stories are in the next one, which I've already written. Um, there's some absolutely stonking Duncan stories as well. Because Duncan, when you meet Duncan now, you just cannot help but look at him going, Who are you and what have you done with Mad Duncan? Because he's <laughs> Captain Sensible now, right? But there was, there was, I mean, one classic one where we're playing a game. I, get, I broke my leg against the USA, right? He comes on for me. And the ball just gets lumped up to him, as teams used to do, you know. And he's just sitting watching it go over his head. And the next one gets lumped up. Watching it go over his head. And this is his first ever game for Scotland, right? And if he does well, he's on the plane to Sweden. He's got Euro night too, right? And he's not trying to leg. <laughs> I'm sitting on the bench going... Big man, what's going on here? Like, no idea. So end of the game. Manager ended up with going around the team. He's going, eh, Chalky, well done. Brian McLaren. Ha, well done. Performance day. All the way around, telling everyone how well we've done because we won 1 0. And we're all thinking he's going to get to Big Duncan in a minute. Because <laughs> Big Duncan's not trying to leg. And I'll not use the exact phrasing. He said, Duncan, you're right. We injured. It didn't seem to be. When I seen the brave house spirit there, and he goes, nah. Can I get myself up for these park games? Because <laughs> it's a friendly, Duncan can't be bored. It's his Scottish international debut. <laughs> if, he went, if, he, if, we get, if he plays well, he gets to play in the Euros. <laughs> because can I get myself up for these park games? <laughs> and we're going, you what planet are you on, mate? And, but his stuff away from the actual playing, I, I just adored him. I absolutely adored watching the guy. The first time I ever seen him and met him, he, he just walked up to me and I was 22, 23, whatever, and I was and I was a skillful player, known as technically good player. And Big Duncan's this kid at 16 who's been brought into trainers. Anyway, I'd go around three players and lose the ball and it goes out. Big Duncan goes, we man, we man, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> There's not a lot of respect in you here. And I went, yes, can I help you? See when you get the ball. Get to a player that can play. <laughs> <laughs> I went, and I'm playing for Chelsea. I'm playing in the year yeah. Chelsea twice at this point. And this is a kid for Dundee United. And I'm going, yeah. there's two ways of taking this. I think he's an arrogant, ignorant, <laughs> so or, yeah. else, or else he's really interesting. He's yeah. weird. And of course, I'm going for the latter every yeah. time. <laughs> I'm watching this guy. And any time I could be the big man's company, I, I, I always was because he had no idea how funny he was. 
And then maybe that's the joy of writing about football as an outsider insider. You see that everyone else thinks it's a bit normal and you're going, no, that's not normal behavior. Yeah. That's utterly strange and weird and nuts. Um, so that's kind of the, the Duncan stuff goes on and on and on. It's, it's peppered through that bit. We'll be peppered through the next one. And the big man's, I mean, hey, he's not always right. And, you know, the stories are legend about him around Liverpool and, I wouldn't ask too many Celtic fans if they liked him very much, but I find certain people very interesting. Duncan's right up there. With yeah. I think, Ed, I think we need to uh, add Duncan to our podcast hopeful list, don't we? I'd imagine he'd be... No, you have no <laughs> chance. That would be an absolute get, I think, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nobody in the world has ever got a big man. No yeah. That would be a, that would be a dream. Um, we'll let Pat we like go. the challenge. We, like we, the do, challenge. Like, we do like a challenge. <laughs> Ed, before we go, let Pat go. Have you got any more questions you want to throw at, at Pat before we uh, let him off? Oh, I think Pat has covered uh, everything. I was going to ask Pat a quick modern day question. Obviously, right. we've got three three great teams at the top of the Premier League at the moment. Obviously, you cover a lot of Premier League uh, football through your radio coverage, etc. Who's going to win it? Um, I mean, it's brilliant the fact that you, know, you don't know. I don't mm. know it. No, anyone else, but. If I was forced to put money on it, I would put mm. money on Manchester City immediately. That's exactly who I said as well. Yeah, yeah. Immediately, I would. I mean, Chelsea have done phenomenally, stay where they are, considering yeah. what Tuchel's done in a short period of time. But but every team's got weaknesses. I was at I was at Liverpool the weekend. I was at the game against Villa, and yes, they were the better team, and they, they, they won one now. But they should have probably given away a penalty, and mm. it's, it was tight. You look at City, there's been a marked shake recently, hasn't there? I mean, certainly in the, the away game was at Leipzig and then again at the weekend there. So the, and then Chelsea have had their wobble as well. They're very, very good teams. They're all brown to watch and enjoy about watching their own way. Um, and it's not a stick on. If it was, say you had stuck uh, Haaland, say they'd have uh, said they've got Haaland, then you wouldn't even discuss it. You'd, mm. you'd just is it right? Can you have a normal strike or even even Harry? Yeah, even fine. But then I get feeling if you put Holland or Harry in either of the three, any of the three teams, that would just put them miles ahead. So yeah. it's really interesting where it is just now, and I'm loving it. And I was one of the joys of it is at the moment uh, I kind of love football, right? And I love watching it, but I I kind of not madly partisan all the time. What I love is the beauty and the creativity of it and skill. So we're watching Salah just now, and it's just wow. You know, it's, it's almost because we used to, a lot of us, and I'm sure everyone listening would have said the phrase, isn't it great to live in the, the era of yeah. Messi and Ronaldo? We've all said it. See, if it wasn't for them two, we'd be saying, isn't it great to live in the era of Salah? Because mm-hmm. he's great. that brilliant. Mm-hmm. He is that brilliant at the moment. Um, so I look around and I'm seeing some players that, uh, I'm really enjoying, and, and I've lived through the David, the David Silva uh, era because I loved watching him. And there are still at the moment some brown players playing for all three of those teams. And Bernardo Silva's not doing too badly either, is he? So mm. it's, a, it's a great, great time. It's a brilliant, brilliant league this season, um, and I, I'm just loving every second of it. And fortunately, I get to see a lot of the games as we speak. 
that yeah, may yeah. change. <laughs> yeah, let's, yeah. Well, I'm gonna keep you off, Anne, and uh, yeah, our game being called off tonight at Sheffield United because of yeah of what. So that's fingers crossed. Um, I've loved living in the era of Nevin for the last hour or so. So thank you very much, Pat, for thank for joining you. us. Ed, thank you as always. Uh, thank drink, you. Drinks on the on the football tavern, of course, as always. Um, I've yeah. been Ash Rose. This has been Alive and Kicking. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, keep it nineties. No!